came down to the end of Jeremiah 49 last week, and I want to pick it up beginning with chapter 50. The previous few chapters are a bit insecure, or obscure, excuse me, based on, I don't know exactly who all of these peoples are today. They're left as Gentile countries who have something to do with Israel at the end, and some of our enemies, and what God says will happen to the enemies of Israel. We pick up something different in chapter 50. Let's start into it. The word that the Eternal spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. So what we see coming up in the next couple of chapters are specific prophecies against Babylon herself, whomever that might include. Notice verse 39 of the previous chapter. But it shall come to pass in the latter days that I will turn again or bring back the captivity of Elam, says the Eternal. So that prophecy, just preceding this, has to do with the latter days or the end time. It is an obscure prophecy from the past that had to do with those countries back then only. Now let's go back to establish that time a little better Isaiah 13. I don't want to spend a great deal of time back here because we recently went through these prophecies in Isaiah. And I did not come forward, as I recall, very much into Jeremiah at that time when we were in Isaiah because I knew it would be coming up. Uh, but now I want to reflect back a little bit and pick up a couple of things out of Isaiah 13 and 14 about this situation and in particular the timing of it. Here again, this is introduced in chapter 13 of Isaiah as the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah saw. Now we're reading the words, or will be today, of Jeremiah, which he also saw and heard. Lift you up a banner upon the high mountain, exalt the voice to them, shake the hand that they may go into the gates of the nobles. Uh, I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for my anger, even them that rejoice in my highness. So God is going to call out people to destroy Babylon. This is a burden against Babylon. Now let's notice the context of time. That's what I had in mind back here mostly. Verse 6, Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. So what Isaiah was seeing was not just a prophecy against ancient Babylon that would fall to the Medes and the Persians when Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom fell, but it was a prophecy for the time of the day of the Lord. We are entering that time now, not specifically the day of the Lord, but all the events that will lead up to the day of the Lord. So this proclamation in Isaiah, and therefore the one in Jeremiah, is about the end times. Notice verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, speaking of Babylon's land, and he shall destroy it, or destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Verse 11. And I will punish the world for their evil. So he expands it. Uh, verse 13. I'll shake the heavens and the earth, shall remove out of her place. So definitely speaking of the time of the end here. Verse 14, it shall be as the chaste roe and as a sheep that no man takes up. No one 
will pay any attention. No one will care. When this happens to Babylon, whoever it is, no one's really going to care. In other words, there isn't a lot of care or sympathy or feeling for the people of Babylon when they fall from the world. So whoever we pin the tail of this donkey on, it has to be someone that is out of favor with the world and someone who would not bother to pick Babylon up. Okay? They shall every man turn to his own people and flee everyone into his own land. So wherever this Babylon is and whoever it is, there are people there who will see the tragedy, will see the fall, and they're going to scatter to their own land. Wherever they came from, they're going to go back. So this is a place that has a great deal of uh, immigration, people coming in. And when the destruction comes, every rat will run back to his home, be it Australia or South America or Mexico or wherever they came from. I've, I've had it here. I'm out of here. Everyone that is found shall be thrust through, so they'll be running for their very lives to get away. Verse 19, first clue. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, whichever nation or people this is, it's called the glory of the kingdoms. So we need to look around the earth today, just prior to the day of the Lord, and see which kingdom is the glory of the kingdoms. I suppose that would be Haiti, or maybe Indonesia. I think not. It has to be someone very well recognized as glorious in men's eyes. The beauty of the Chaldees' excellency. Now that doesn't mean they're righteous. What does Chaldean excellency mean? means money, means power, means false gods. Bail. Shall be is when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. So God is going to make sure when the destruction comes, it's a total destruction. All right. Chapter 14. I don't want to go through this all verse by verse again. For the Eternal will have mercy on Jacob and will yet choose Israel and set them in their own land. Now that's interesting. A bit of a change of thought here, isn't it? Or is it? Because it's talking about the burden of Babylon, and the subject hasn't changed. We haven't had a change in burden here. Man placed a chapter break, but it says for the Lord. In other words, considering what has just been said in chapter 13, Something here is contingent upon what we have just read. For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob, but will yet choose Israel and set them in their own land. He's destroying Babylon, and yet he's going to show mercy on Israel. Does that show you that there's some connection here? Of course, we have to realize that the whole Bible is written about Israel, one way or another. Originally, physical Israel. Now, spiritual Israel is what God is concerned with. So, everything else that is written in Scripture is satellite to now us, 
Babylon occurred. Well, why does it talk about settling Israel in her own land ultimately when we're talking about the destruction of Babylon? We'll see a connection here as we go on. Now, spiritual Israel, if you apply that first, will also be settled in her own land. So perhaps we need to examine where spiritual Israel is today. We determined many, many decades ago basically where Israel is, but what about spiritual Israel? There again, we have to look to primarily the United States, which contains 90 probably plus percent of those that God has called out. And they will be settled in their own land. Is there anything else here? Verse 4, you shall take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, how has the oppressor ceased? So Babylon is also known by reputation as an oppressor. So we need to examine who the world looks at today as the oppressor. Now, we don't always see ourselves as others see us, do we? But this Babylon has to be looked upon as an oppressor. Now, if you were in X country around the world, and someone asked you, who is the great oppressor on the face of the earth today, what answer would you get in most countries. Would it be Turkey? No. Most people would identify the oppressor of the nations today as America. Hands down. They're the ones that put the strong arm economically on people. You will do this or else because we're rich and we're mighty. And we will destroy you economically if you don't. And secondarily, we say, you will do thus and such, or we will destroy you militarily. We're the only nation on earth at this point that most people fear because of those two things. How has the oppressor ceased? The golden city ceased. That, that uh, indicates great wealth. Where is the wealthiest oppressing nation on earth today? Well, let me say that with this caveat. We are apparently the richest nation. We still are viewed as the richest nation. However, we are the greatest debtor nation on earth. In one sense, we are the poorest nation on earth. It just hasn't been discovered yet. It hasn't been brought about yet because we owe more than we have. He goes on then to bring this into Satan and how he is the ruler of the world and the ruler of Babylon. It is Babylon is a whole system the rules of the world, but there is a leader of Babylon. The whole Babylonian system under Satan is going to ultimately fall. We'll see a little later on that it's, it's fallen, is fallen, has a particular meaning. I want to go down to verse 25 now. We'll, we'll skip to there. He says, I will break the Assyrian in my land 
and upon my mountains tread him underfoot. Then shall his yoke depart from off them, and his burden depart from off their shoulders. Now, here he's talking about Babylon and Israel, and he's talking about saving Israel now in this context, out of it all, ultimately. And he's going to break the Assyrian, before it's finished, from off our land. So that gives us a clue as to who will be heading up this devastation that is going to come against America. Let's go back to chapter 10 and pick up a verse or two. Isaiah 10, verse 5. O Assyrian, the rod of my anger and the staff in their hand is my indignation. I will send him against a hypocritical nation, and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge. Now God's wrath, first of all, on this world is going to come upon whom? America and ultimately Israel are going to be the first ones destroyed by a world-ruling empire. And the Assyrian is the rod of God's anger. Now we're going to see as we go through Jeremiah and other scriptures that it is not just Assyria. We tended to look at it as, as Assyria and ten nations in Europe. But it was a narrow view, not taking into account what has happened since in the world and what is happening at the moment and will happen in the near future. It's much bigger than that. We'll see that clearly. But the leaders, the ultimate rulers of the New World Order are basically in Europe. Now, when that beast arises, and we'll go into identifying the beast at some point, maybe not today, who it really is, everyone on earth is going to worship that beast except true members of God's church. Everyone. So that means that that kingdom of iron and miry clay is going to include Buddhists, Hindus, Shintoists, Islamics, everyone. Everyone will unite against Babylon. We'll see that. But the Assyrian has traditionally been the destroyer of Israel, as has Babylon, but the stories diverge somewhat. But look for Assyria to be involved, maybe the leaders. The central bankers that control the economics of the world are in America and Europe today primarily. They're the ones that dictate what will happen financially. Iran is trying to change that today by selling oil for euros, and that plays into the hands of the bankers again established in Europe and spread to America. They had a central banker bank in Europe before it was established here. And the central bank is not part of the government, but does print and control all the money that you and I have as Americans. We think it's our money. No, it's not. It belongs to the bankers, and they lend it to us, and we pay interest on it. I said that last week, but it's very true. Uh, let's go to Isaiah 21 just for a moment, pick up just a little more there. The burden of the desert of the sea. Now the sea represents the peoples of the world. This beast comes up out of the sea, Daniel says, or maybe Revelation or both, out of all the peoples of the earth. 
As whirlwinds in the south pass through, so it comes from the desert, from a terrible land. So this is a, a sea of people on this earth that is terrible, ungodly to the core. So it is a spiritual dearth, and the seas are the peoples. That is explained in Revelation as the seas and the waters being many peoples, companies, and nations. So this is a burden about the peoples. A grievous vision is declared to me. The treacherous dealer deals treacherously, as he would, and the spoiler spoils. Go up, O Elam, besiege, O Media. All the sighing thereof have I made to cease. Therefore my loins fill with pain, or pain. Pangs have taken hold upon me as the pangs of a woman that travails. I was bowed down at the hearing of it. I was dismayed at the seeing of it. So this great trouble that is coming from the spiritual desert, the seas of the world, the peoples, is something that's difficult to listen to. My heart panted. Fearfulness affrighted me. The night of my pleasure, and he turned into fear to me. Whoever this was talking about was going on in pleasure, and suddenly fear hit. It says, prepare the table, watch in the watchtower, eat and drink, arise, you princes, and anoint the shield. War is coming, better get ready. Watch, eat, drink, and get ready. For thus says the eternal to me, go, send a watchman, let him declare what he sees. And he saw a chariot with a couple of horsemen, a chariot of asses and a chariot of camels, and he hearkened uh, diligently with much heat. And he cried, A lion, my lord, I stand continually upon the watchtower in the daytime, and I am set in my ward whole nights. So we're watching and seeing a lot of trouble brewing. And behold, here comes a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. So this multitude of peoples from the sea is preparing to destroy Babylon. It talks about Elam and the Medes, Persians. So they are included. We saw the Assyrian involved. Now we see others involved. And all the graven images of her gods he has broken to the ground. Now we'll address Babylon as fallen as fallen again because it's quoted in Revelation 18 very much an end-time scripture. So uh, this Babylon we're talking about being established in Isaiah 13 and in the book of Revelation and again in the book of Daniel has to be an end-time kingdom. Can't be anything else. All right, let's, uh, let's go from there back to Jeremiah 15. I want to lay a little background to show when this is, and then a couple of three clues about who it might be. We'll see some more as we go through Jeremiah 50 and 51, and we'll prove it more when we get into the book of Revelation. Now, I'm not going to go through all the proofs in detail, because I did that in the series on Babylon, and I think see very clearly from the scriptures and from world events of what's happening that that is the United States of America. Uh, for those who might be hearing this and haven't heard the Babylonian series, uh, go back on the website, find that, and I think it will become very clear that the modern day Babylonians will be destroyed. You'll see some things that are different from what we believe 25 
things look differently today than they did then, and the scriptures can be understood better today based on what we see in reality than what we can project and think might happen. So it is bigger, in a word, than we ever considered or thought possible. It's far more than Germany and nine other kings in Europe. But we'll see that as we go, and you can pick up detail of that. Uh, you'll also find that the great four may not be defined as we used to think it was. Different false prophet four are not one and the same. That was proved in that series, and we'll touch on it again before we're done here. But let's go on in the context at the moment. So this is against Babylon and the land of the Chaldeans. Declare you among the nations, and publish and set up a standard. Publish and conceal not, saying, Babylon is taken. Here's the message Jeremiah was to deliver. Babylon is going to fall in the end time. Baal is confounded. Merodach is broken in pieces. Her idols are confounded. Her images are broken in pieces. This is a nation that worships Baal. How could that be America? We worship God, don't we? Well, which God do we worship? Christ told some people they didn't know who they worshipped. And we don't know today. Our holidays in this country are Baal worship, Christmas, Easter, Halloween. We have ungodly holidays or holy days. We have the holy days or holidays. Semiramis, Baal worship. So these false gods are gods that we as Americans commonly worship. I say we, you and I don't, but the nation as a whole does. And the god that the central bankers put on the $1 bill is not our Heavenly Father, God in Heaven. It is Satan the Devil.
So who will that be? Who destroyed ancient Babylon? Medes and Persians. They were to the north of Babylon. Babylon was on the Euphrates River. Tigris and Euphrates came right down through that area. Nineveh, the kings of Assyria, had been just north there from Babylon up the river. And the Medes and Persians were off to the northeast. So in ancient history, the Medes and Persians were the ones that destroyed the Babylonian kingdom and took over. Now if you go into Revelation 11, you find a great deal of back and forth between the king of the north and the king of the south. Now it is my view at this time, and I think it can be substantiated in Bible and history and in prophecy, that we represent Babylon today and that we will be destroyed and another king of the north will represent the king of the north from that point on it also will be destroyed Babylon has fallen twice in the end time it's not just emphasis there's something behind it why did God say to Israel to America, I think it is, when he's talking about Babylon. I wrote that scripture down somewhere. I don't know. I don't remember exactly where it was. Um, maybe in Isaiah 43. Maybe we'll get there in a minute. But it says, you were pagan in your youth. And that fits the history of America. It was pagans, Freemasons, who established this land and set up its capital apart from the 50 states, the 50 that exist today. So even in our youth, we were failed worshippers as this nation was established. Yes, God brought mostly Israelites here, but he allowed Babylonian rulers to rule us. That's why the scriptures can fit about the 70 years in Daniel and Zechariah with the church today, because we as spiritual Israel have been in the clutches of, the grip of, the society and culture of Baal in America. It's where we've been. Why, when you go back to Ezekiel 16, and God is speaking to Israel and calls her the whore, that your father and your mother don't look like Abraham or Sarah, Isaac or Jacob, they look like Gentiles. When God views this country today and sees its government, its rulership, its leaders, they don't look like Israelites to him. They look like Baal worshippers. So in our youth, and as the great whore, Ezekiel 16 and Revelation 17 and 18, we don't look like Israelites to God. But there will be a, north, a nation out of the north that comes against her. Now today, I believe that the Assyrians will represent that king of the north and that much of what goes back and forth in uh, Revelation 11, once the United States is destroyed and divided up into four pieces, as I believe it shows in Daniel 8, much of the back and forth then Revelation 11, uh, Revelation, Daniel 11, may indeed be the kings of the north represented by the central bankers of the UN, 
whatever final form happens to be that is centered in Europe. But the Medes and the Persians will also be involved. Because Daniel 8, I think, indicates that we will attack Iraq, which we have done. Then we will probably attack Iran. And after that, we will get our horn broken. Our power will be cut off and our land will be divided into four. So the Assyrian Europeans may be the leaders, but they'll be joined by the Islamic world. They'll be joined by the Eastern world. We'll see in different scriptures that they are all involved. We'll see more of that in this very chapter. So this king of the north will make her land desolate, and none shall dwell therein. They shall remove. Verse 4, in those days, this is the days coming up to the day of the Lord, as Isaiah 13 showed us. In those days and in that time, says the Eternal, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping, they shall go and seek the Lord their God. Now, the world as a whole is not going to begin to seek God until the millennium, when God's government... God does believe in government, and he's told us we can be the kings and priests and rulers in that government. We'll rule the world. But this is as the days of the day of the Lord are introduced. Now, who would be seeking God during that time? Because remember, the whole world will worship the beast. The whole world except those few converted people who stick to God, and that the very elect would be deceived if it were at all possible. It is going to be a powerful thing that will deceive even church members, and the very elect, whomever they might be, if it were possible. So this is people who will see God as the day of the Lord is beginning to transpire. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces thitherward, saying, Come, and let us join ourselves to the Eternal in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. Now, this cannot be the original covenant of marriage with ancient Israel because that ended in divorce. This has to be the perpetual or everlasting covenant from God, eternal life. So these people at the end time will be those seeking God for the right reasons. Speaking of the church, my people have been lost sheep. Isn't that where the church is today? Lost sheep wandering and bang here and there around the world. What happened? What happened to that sheepfold that God created? God was in worldwide. He was with worldwide. He inspired Mr. Armstrong to do what he did. He inspired that work and in the form that it was in terms of government, in terms of doctrine. Now, they did not understand everything. We are understanding more. But if you say God was not with that work, then there is no work on the in the end time. If Herbert Armstrong was not the man that God used in the end time, there is no one else, period, to qualify. Big bash him if you want. But he's what God provided. Not perfect by any means. 
No one has been or will be. The two witnesses at the end will not be perfect by any means. There's only one, Jesus Christ, who ever has been. So until he comes back, we're going to have to settle for less. That's all there is to it. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't all be striving to be the best we can be and please God and obey him as much as possible. But we will all fall short, whomever we may be. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. So the ministry had a lot to do with what has gone on. As the ministry went into Laodiceanism, so did the people. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. So it went from bigger organizations, bigger governments, to smaller and smaller. We've gone from mountains to hills. And as this thing goes on, more and more splits occur. More and more breaches in the wall show up, more cracks, and it continues to fall apart. And it will continue to do so. The splitting and division is by no means over. It will continue. It will continue in every group, including this one, until God shows his hand begins to draw his remnant where he has chosen to draw it. Now they're going, that place is going to include something called Zion, verse 5. Now, in the days leading up to the day of the Lord, Jerusalem is going to be a very dangerous place, physical Jerusalem. Where these people are going to be drawn is to the church. Those are the ones who have the perpetual covenant with God. We are identified as Jerusalem and Zion in Hebrews 12, 22, and 23 and many, many other places in the Bible. So it is to the true church that God is going to bring his faithful remnant together. It's written in Scripture, going to happen. It's written right here. So at the time that Babylon is destroyed is the context here. It's not the millennium. Time of Babylon's fall. Now let's bear in mind that even though the fall of Babylon anciently and, and as recorded in the book of Daniel was at the end of the 70 years and that fall of Babylon began the process whereby the Jews would be released, it did not come to full fruition until the second year of Darius the Mede. So there was a period of time in there after the fall of Babylon before the Jews were released. Now, I would take from that that probably there's going to be a great fall in this country, the United States, before God begins to seriously draw his remnant together. I think that the delivery has been started via knowledge and people responding to some of the scriptures that we have been reading in a very small way. So the process has started not going to be completed probably until this nation falls on its nose and breaks its horn annually. So he gives a description of God's people who have been given the eternal covenant and showing how we are falling apart. 
going from mountain to hill to hill to hill, smaller hills all the time. Verse 7, all that found them have devoured them. So these scattered sheep are being picked off by false ministers, false prophets, false teaching, here, there, and everywhere around the world. They've devoured them. Their adversary said, We offend not because they have sinned against the eternal, the habitation of justice, justice, even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Now even the parent group who split off and went right back into Baal worship, Worldwide Church of God, looks upon us who have clung to the doctrines of the Bible and are continuing to search to learn it better. They look upon us as cannon fodder, spiritual cannon fodder. Those people ought to be destroyed. And if they destroy us, they will think nothing of it. It says that those who confess or who forsake the covenant will have intelligence or communication with the beast. In Daniel 11. They know us. They know our addresses. They know our names. They're on their register and they're in Pasadena. They have joined the New World Order. That's the direction they're going. All right, so considering that they will destroy us without compunction or conscience, and that we have been scattered, lost sheep on the hills at the time that Babylon is about to be destroyed, what is the instruction God gives? Remove out of the middle of Babylon. You can't get out of Babylon entirely. Satan is the ruler of this world. And the whole world is in paganism. The whole world is deceived. Revelation 12, 9. The whole world is deceived. So there's no way to get away from it entirely. But if America is the present leader of Babylon, the present leader of the world... He says, when you see these conditions, when you hear that Babylon will be destroyed, and you see God's people going from mountain to hill, being scattered sheep without proper leadership, and you know the destruction is coming, then get out of the middle of Babylon. We had better be sure we define who Babylon is represented by at the end time. Remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he-goats before the flocks. Now if it's talking about these people who have a perpetual covenant with God and it's talking about his church which has been removed and scattered where is most of the church? Where were most of the Jews? Most of them were in Babylon. Most of the church is in America. So if Babylon is about to fall, we need to find out where most of the church is, and therefore, what to flee from. Now, I can't flee from Panama. I'm not there. I can't flee from South Africa or Zimbabwe. Most of the church is here. 
and the church then has to flee. That's who he's addressing here. Get out of the middle of it. Well, church must be in the middle of it in order to flee out of the middle of it. Most of the church is here. Be as the he-goats before the flocks. Now, most generally in the Bible, goats are looked upon as rebels. They're looked upon as fiercely independent. They are looked upon with disdain. In Christ's own words, I'll separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep on my right hand, the goats on the left. The sheep will be preserved, the goats will not. So generally, in the Bible, sheep are in much higher esteem than goats. Fierce independence is not what God wants. He does not want pride and self. He wants humility and meekness. That's why Christ came as a lamb. He did not come as a conquering ruler. He set the example that we should follow in his steps. So most generally, we are to be in the role of lambs and sheep, not goats. But in this particular instance, when we see the church falling apart and the need to flee from Babylon, God says, be as the he-goats. Be like Billy goats. Because lambs and sheep tend to follow one another. They do not tend to be independently or fiercely independent. God says, if you're going to break ranks with what is going on in the church and in the nation, you're going to have to become like billy goats. So even though God doesn't generally appreciate the attitude of goats, in this case, he says you better be like them. It isn't easy. It takes rugged individualism. It takes power to break loose, to break free, and flee from Babylon. And he explains why then in the next verse. For lo, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country. So a, a great assembly of nations is going to be headed by someone obviously from the north country. Now, ancient Babylon was taken by the Medes and Persians who were to the north. But the Assyrian seems to be indicated as the leader. So, this is a great company of nations, a great assembly, or an assembly of great nations. And they shall set themselves in array against her. Now, we recognize the Arabic world today, the Islamic world, basically is the king of the south, not the king of the north. Well, this is going to be headed by someone who is, would be a judge in the end time prophecies to be the king of the north. And I think it's clear in Daniel 11 that the king of the south represents the Arabic countries around Israel, and the king of the north represents first the United States and later on the European combine that leads a worldwide coalition against America. We can see in the news today, well, not the most of the media, but Apart from the main media, we can see this happening, shaping up very, very rapidly. So 
themselves in array against her. From there she shall be taken. Their arrows shall be as of a mighty expert man. None shall return in vain. In other words, total domination, complete destruction militarily. And Chaldea shall be the spoil. Modern Chaldeans, modern pagan worshippers. All that spoil her shall be satisfied, says the Eternal. Now this is a great assembly of nations, or an assembly of great nations, and they're going to spoil her and be satisfied. What nation, if you look at the world today, would the nations of the world be satisfied to see destroyed? If you're jealous of something, you hate it. Jealousy breeds hate. Who is the most hated nation on earth today? Is it Russia? China? Go on the streets of any country in the world and ask which state or which country is the strongest and the most powerful and has the kind of standard of living that you would like to enjoy, and they will tell you America. If you ask them which one they despise and hate the most, the vast majority will say America. They're the most hated nation on earth, and it would satisfy more people to see us go down than it would anyone else. Because you were glad, because you rejoiced, O you destroyers of my heritage, because you have grown fat as the heifer and grass, and bellow as bulls. Now his heritage is Israel. We have today in America a government that is dead set on betraying us to the new world order. They are actively, this very day, working and destroying our borders, and getting rid of our sovereignty, of putting us in debt to the nations of the world as deeply as possible. That is their avowed purpose, to establish their new world order, to establish supremacy in a world-ruling empire. They have to get rid of the present empire. The only world-ruling empire today is America. We as Americans do not view ourselves as empire builders, but I'll guarantee you the people in Washington do. It is not an empire whereby we go into every country on the world, in the world as uh, Alexander the Great or Napoleon, or even as Hitler was planning to do, and militarily destroy them all. It is only the ones who will not knuckle under to our economic and political empire that we destroy militarily. Iran is pushing at us right now with their oil force and their threats to cut off oil and so on. And we are trying by economic might and sanctions. We've had sanctions against them for many years now. Now we're trying with diplomacy and political clout to get them to come under our thumb. And if they won't, what do we do? The attack will be on. So our leaders are destroying Israel today. That is their avowed goal and purpose, because they want to rule the entire world, not just America. America has to go.
Your grown fat is the heifers and grass, and bellow as bulls. Your mother shall be sore confounded. She that bore you shall be ashamed. Behold, the hindmost of the nation shall be a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert. Look to be the most prosperous and wealthy nation on earth today, whereas in reality, if they would look into our bank account, which they're beginning to do, they would see that we are totally bankrupt and so far in debt we could never get out. And in that sense, this Babylon that we live in is the hindermost of nations. That will become apparent very shortly. Because of the wrath of the eternal, it shall not be inhabited, but it shall be wholly desolate. Everyone that goes by Babylon shall be astonished and hiss in all her plagues. Sarcastic humor, laughter, sardonic, ah-ha-ha's. Look what happened to you. You thought you were so great. It can never happen here, most Americans will tell you. 911 shook that faith a little bit. Our leaders wanted it to be shaken. They knew it was coming. That is not just wild Internet speculation. Congress has established that our government knew that attack was coming. Just as it has been established in history, that Franklin Delano Roosevelt knew the attack on Pearl Harbor was coming. He wanted to get into the war, and he knew that something like that would be what it would take. He sacrificed those ships at Pearl Harbor. He sacrificed those men to get us into the war. That's what our country is doing today, our leadership. They're sacrificing American boys and girls in various wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, and soon to be Iran and maybe Syria, who knows where else, in order to accomplish their goal of destroying this country. I see some columns now and then by people who just can't understand seems insane what George, what George Bush is doing. seems insane and crazy to them. Well, by all logic of someone trying to lead a nation and protect it, what he's doing seems insane. But when you're avowed, avowed goal and purpose is to destroy this country, and there is a plan afoot to do so, that it makes sense. It isn't insanity. It's treason. It's what it is. When you destroy the United States Constitution, ignore it, and call it just a piece of paper, as he has done, and you're allowing immigration to come in and flood the borders, in other words, you're destroying the borders, and you are creating inflation and greater debt. Just raise the debt level. That seems insane, doesn't it? I'm all maxed out on all my credit cards. What do I do? I order another credit card. We're all maxed out. We spend every dollar that we borrow from the central bank, from the Federal Reserve. What do we do? We print $900 billion more of them and go further into debt. Seems insane. 
13, because of the wrath of the eternal, it shall not be inhabited, be destroyed. They'll hiss. We read that. Verse 14, put yourselves in array against Babylon round about. All you that bend the bow, shoot at her, spare no errors, for she has sinned against the eternal. God is going to bring the Assyrian, the rod of his anger, allied with many, many peoples. Esau will be involved because, as Genesis 27 points out, and we read last week, the end of the age, Esau or Edom will break the bonds of Jacob off their neck. They will be involved too. They are the majority, I believe, of the bankers that control world finance. So it's a coalition of many peoples. It says, all you that bend the bow, shoot at her, spare no arrows. arrows. He says, I want her destroyed. Shout against her round about. She has given her hand. Her foundations are fallen. Her walls are thrown down. Given her hand to me means that a deal was made behind the scenes and a handshake given whereby Babylon is turned over to these people and they are told, destroy. Just as in 911, that was given over to, planned, and allowed deliberately. They were given that opportunity. <laughs> I think it is very clear that those buildings were bombed from underneath as well as airplanes going into. And for that to be done, there had to be a tremendous breach of security. And isn't it ironic that one of George Bush's brothers was high up in that security firm? Very, very interesting. She has given her hand. Her foundations are fallen, her walls are thrown down, for it is the vengeance of the eternal. Take vengeance upon her, and she has done due to her. Cut off the sower from Babylon, and him that handles the sickle in the time of harvest. Where is the breadbasket of the world? Right here in this country. For fear of the oppressing sword, they shall turn everyone to his people, and they shall flee everyone to his own land. We are the ones that said, bring us your poor, your tired, your tired, your poor, your teeming masses, wanting to breathe free. And they came. And when this hits, once it can, will scurry out of here like rats going back to their own land. Verse 17. Interesting. This is a proclamation against Babylon. What does it say? Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First the king of Assyria has devoured him, and last is Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon has broken his bones. Now historically, the Hyksos, who apparently were Assyrians, were involved in the government of ancient Egypt, where Israel was taken into slavery, along with Ham, or black peoples. We at one time were in slavery to Africans and Assyrians. So they first devoured Israel, and now this 
King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has broken his bones. Part of it from the inside out. She's given her hand, verse 15. Now, this is talking about Israel, not just Judah. Anciently in history, it was just Judah that Babylon took captive. Israel already left long before, gone to northwest Europe. Judah was the only thing basically left. Judah, Levi, and Dan were all considered Jews. But this includes Israel. So it's not just talking about then, and it's not just talking about the Jews. It's talking about Israel. We are the leaders of Israel. Not spiritual leaders, but leaders. Therefore, thus says the eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land, as I have punished the king of Assyria. I will bring Israel again to his habitation, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. So when this is all said and done, Israel will be brought back, and the church is going to be brought back, even as this happens, before it's finished. In those days, and in that time, says the eternal, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. God says he'll forgive our sins in one day, and our righteousness will not be ours but his, Isaiah 54. And the sins of Judah, they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. He's speaking to the church here. Remember, the end time is the whole world against the church. So this is first written to the church, secondarily to the Israelites, wherever they might be scattered. Who is he going to pardon in this end time? Those whom he reserves. His remnant, those he reserves or saves out of it, will be the ones that are pardoned. That could include you and me. Verse 22, or verse 21. Go up against the land of Merathaim, even against it, and against the inhabitants of Pecod, Waste and utterly destroy after them, says the Eternal, and do according to all that I have commanded you. So these places in the Babylonian Empire were to be destroyed. And if that is America today, it's America's cities that will be destroyed, this land. And those that God pardons, basically, 90% of them or so are here already. <coughs> Others will come from around the world. Even as the rats scurry to their homes where they came from, the church will come here because this is where God is going to preserve those whom he pardons. That's a different subject. We're not going there today. Verse 22. A sound of battle is in the land, and of great destruction. How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? How has Babylon become a desolation among the nations? Now, if you want to identify Babylon today, here's another clue. We'll find them all through here. Who would you describe today as the hammer of the whole earth? Who is capable of hammering anyone on the whole earth? I read uh, an article by a general the other day, a retired general in the U.S. Armed Forces, who said we have, I think he's about 9,600 nuclear warheads today. We're worried about Iran getting one. But we have 9,600. We have the capacity to hammer anyone with nuclear weapons. That threat is always over them. 
I even read one article that said that this new war won't be a desert storm. It will be called the hammer. Interesting. One going into Iran, the hammer. If you were to ask people all over this world, who is the hammer of the whole earth? What would be their what would be their reply? I'd say 99 out of 100 would have to say America. We're the only ones who have the capacity to hammer. We can hammer economically, we can hammer politically, and we can hammer militarily. How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? Verse 24, I've laid a snare for you, and you are also taken, O Babylon, and you were not aware. You were found and also caught because you have striven against the eternal. Now, who is God most concerned about on this earth today? and always has been. Israel, his chosen people, anciently, and spiritual Israel, his chosen people, at the end time. That's where his interest has always been. Now, why would he be concerned about the Chinese or the Russians striving against the eternal? Now, ultimately, he will. But in the destruction of Babylon, he's concerned about the people who've striven against God. And our American culture today is anti-God. Everything in Washington, everything basically in Hollywood, the entertainment world is against God. See, huge battle shaping up over gay marriage again. That's against God. But it's going to take us and we'll not be aware and we'll be caught suddenly. Do most of the American people today realize that the handwriting is on the wall? That prophecy about Nebuchadnezzar and the handwriting being on the wall is about America today. The handwriting is on the wall, but nobody can read it. Nobody can see it. A few here and there are waking up to what is going on in the world and how deeply we are in debt, how badly we are hated, and what our own government is in the process of doing to us. A few are waking up. But when this comes, it's going to take most people in America unaware. They won't know. They won't see it coming. We're fat, dumb, and happy. Just keep, let me keep my job. Things will go on. America always wins. Hollywood is pulling the rug out from under us. They still make all the movies where we're in deep trouble, deep, terrible things are about to happen, and some American hero comes at the last moment, saves the day. They're setting us up. This time, some great American hero will not come forward and save the day. But they're lulling us to sleep by letting us think by the things we enjoy watching that an American will always be there to save our miserable, sorry hides. That's what they're showing us. They're trying to get us to believe. And when they pull the rug out, we'll look around for a hero. There won't be one. We will find that our leaders have betrayed us. 
and our entertainment world must betray us. Everything about our culture and the leaders in it have a mindset of betraying us. God says, I've laid a snare for you, and you are also taken. I already read that. Verse 25, the Eternal has opened his armory and has brought forth the weapons of his indignation. Who does he call the rod of his anger? Assyria, Isaiah 10. For this is the work of the Eternal God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. You have to put all the scriptures together to see who the enemy is. The enemy basically is the whole world. We find that the Medes and the Persians are involved. We find that Edom or Esau is involved. The Ashkenazi Jews, Ashkenazi Jews. We find that Assyria is involved. Go back to Psalm 83 and see a great confederacy. There's various countries there. So God has opened his army, and he is sicking these people on us just like he sick Satan on Job. For this is the work of the eternal God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from the utmost border. Open her storehouses. Cast her up as heaps and destroy her utterly. Let nothing of her be left. Our great wealth, our food, everything will be stripped away. Slay all her bullocks. Let them go down to the slaughter. Declare mad cow disease. Get rid of the herds. Declare avian flu. Get rid of the birds. Whatever you have to do, slay her. Get rid of her. Woe to them, for their day has come, the time of their visitation. Now verse 28. The voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, the vengeance of his temple. Talking about the church here. There's only one temple of God in the end time. That's the church. And they are to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God. Now there are those who go to Zion in Jerusalem today, and they think that is the place to gather. But that is a bone that is going to be picked apart in the coming times. And I believe, again, here's an aside, that there is a different Zion where God's church in their own land, as Isaiah says, will be gathered their God will cause to be declared what's going on in the mentions of his temple through the two witnesses and the work that is behind them. That's the way this thing is going to come down. Not Jerusalem, Palestine, but Jerusalem, the church, in a physical place also called Zion, where that church will gather. Zechariah 12, I think, has a very important tidbit in that light where it's talking about Jesus Christ coming back from there on through chapter 14. And it talks about Jerusalem being established again in her own place. Now, if it has to be established in its own or its original place, then it must have been somewhere else for a while. and has to be reestablished. God makes it clear that is the ultimate place that it will be established in her own place. Meantime, it's somewhere else. The church is Jerusalem and Zion, and most of it is in America today. And if America is Babylon, then we stay here and declare, declare from Zion the vengeance of God, the vengeance of his temple, as it will be unleashed upon the world. 
Verse 29, call together the archers against Babylon, all you that bend the bow. Camp against it round about. Let none thereof escape. Recompense her according to her work, according to all that she has done. Do to her, for she has been proud against the eternal, against the Holy One of Israel. God said, if you want to show your bodies, I'll show them for you. We try to show everything we can in this country. And God says, I'll show it all. Be careful how you dress. You might be caught up in this. Maybe I should at this point go back to Revelation for a few minutes. Because I know that most of us here understand, having heard the Babylon series, who this modern-day Babylon is, and we're seeing some clues here. And if you ask certain questions when you come to some of these verses, there's only one clear answer to the hammer of the earth. That's us. But let's go back for a few minutes then, and I'll, I'll do a brief review here of some things we went over there to show more conclusively who these end-time prophecies are talking about. Now, we can go to Daniel, and eventually we'll get there and see it some more. But let's see a little bit here. Chapter 17 of Revelation. There came one of the seven angels, which had seven vials, and talked with me, saying to me, Come here, I will show to you the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters. Now, what do waters mean here again in Bible symbolism? Go down to verse 15, and it's explained. He said to me, The waters which you saw where the whore sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So this great whore sits upon many peoples, many multitudes, many nations, many languages. Sits upon many waters. Now, I'll not go back to Ezekiel 16 right now. We went there in the Babylonian series. But God calls Israel a whore. She was divorced for her whoredoms. And Ezekiel 16 is an end-time prophecy. So God looks upon Israel today as a great whore. That is established in Scripture. Now, in Worldwide Church of God, over the years, we looked upon the great whore as the Catholic Church. Where did that reasoning and thinking come from? What was its source? Its source was Protestant commentaries. All the Protestants looked upon the Catholic Church as a great whore. Now, they failed to look upon themselves as little harlot daughters in the Protestant Reformation. Now, if you're going to call your mother a whore and you're doing the same thing she's doing, what does that make you? But they did not include that in their thinking. But it was only natural, I think, for Mr. Armstrong to look at the Catholic Church, and she certainly has been a whore in terms of religion as well. Like, don't get me wrong. And I think that in that sense, as a religious whore, she has lots of little daughters around the world named Methodists and Baptists and Evangelicals and so on that have been spawned by her. But God looks upon the nation of Israel as a whore in Ezekiel 16. And this one sits upon many waters and many languages. 
Now, let's see if this is religious. I think that's the bottom line to establishing it. Is this a religious organization, this great order? With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So, as a broad general term, the kings of the earth have fornicated with her. They've made alliances, they've made deals, whoever this great whore is. Has great political clout in the world. Deals have been made. They have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Wine is a symbol of seduction often used to seduce on the physical world. So this whore has seduced the kings of the world. Now the Catholic Church, you might say, has seduced certain peoples, certain leaders, certain rulers. That is true. But does it carry through all the way? So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast with the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. But God looks upon Israel as a woman, remember. A woman isn't always a church. God looks upon all Israel, Ezekiel 16, as a woman who is a whore. That's God's definition, not Protestant commentary. So this woman, this great whore, sits upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So obviously the end-time beast is what this whore is riding. She has seduced this beast. Now I think that the United Nations is probably going to be the apparatus whereby the beast comes forward. Now, people will look at it today and laugh at that, saying, well, the U.N. has no power. America does what she wants, and the U.N. gets all upset. Well, who rides or controls the beast? This great whore, this woman. Now, that beast hates her. Who hates America? The United Nations. They want to rule the world. They want to have a world court. They want to have a world military. They want to have world dominance. But they can't because this woman, whoever she is, is riding them. This is a sexual uh, symbolism here. The beast lays down and she does the riding. She is in control of the relationship, and the beast doesn't like it. She's on top, and there is resentment and resistance to that by this beast. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her seductions. So very, very wealthy dressed in binary, as the great wealth. Who has the greatest wealth today? America. Or at least we have the shell left. Now, I would agree that the UN today is basically powerless before us. If we ask them for sanctions against someone, they don't always agree. But they'll not go under to us because they know we have the great power. 
represented all the way. Now, in the end, these peoples give power to the beast. So if it is established as a shell that does not have power, in the end, the nations give it the power. doesn't have it yet. It's just a shell. They receive power is kings, verse 12, one hour with the beast. Not there yet. Okay, verse 5. And upon her, her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now, to this point, you could say that's a political nation, or you could say it's a church. There isn't a great deal here to define it one way or the other yet. Let's go on to chapter 18. Uh, there's much here that is important. Well, let's not quite go there yet. Let's go to verse 15, because he's making, uh, well, verse 13. We read about how these kings are given power one hour with the beast. And then what do they do with that power? These shall make war with the Lamb. So this is something that is right at the end, this last beast. They'll make war with the Lamb, ultimately. And the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Right of Christ ultimately will win. And he said to me, The waters which you saw, where the whore sits, where she's riding, are peoples and multitudes, nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate, and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. So this horror that we're speaking of here is going to be destroyed by the beast. Now, in the book of Revelation, it only says that the beast and the false prophet will be taken by Christ and thrown into a lake of fire. So... The false prophet then, the religious arm of the end-time beast, is thrown in the lake of fire, not destroyed by the beast, destroyed by Jesus Christ. But the beast hates this whore, turns on her, and destroys her. So we have three entities here, a beast, a religious organization, and a great whore. The false prophet and the beast destroy the whore. For God has put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Now, in chapter 13, we see the religious side. You have the great beast that came up at the first part of this chapter, and they rule for 42 months. The leopard, the bear, the lion, the dragon, and so on. These are mentioned in the book of Revelation. I'm not going there today for sake of time, uh, but it is the end time beast power. Verse 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and then the dwell in heaven. So this is going to be an antichrist against God organization, and it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. World ruling empire. 
and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Only the very few true and faithful. So it's us against them. Now verse 11. And I beheld another beast, not a great whore, another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, benign to the, to the appearance. And he spoke as a dragon. So this is a religious group or organization that speaks the words of Satan. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. They're going to say that this beast is to be worshipped. Just as Nebuchadnezzar said, here's an image of the beast to be worshipped. Now notice... Verse 13, and he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. That is a religious operation. Miracles, fire from heaven, that is not something that you would attribute to a political organization such as a nation. When you talk about fire from heaven, you're talking about religion. So this second beast is a religious organization and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Pharaoh's magicians had power to do this kind of miracle, religious thing. Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And they had power to do this. So there is a religious organization called the beast, not called the whore. Now let's go on in chapter 18. Well, let's finish verse, chapter 17, verse 18. 17, 18. And the woman which you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So the great whore reigns over the kings of the earth. Can you say that the Catholic Church today reigns over the kings of the earth? I don't think you can. They have a great hold in South America, Central America, and here and there but they don't have that control over all the kings of the earth. Who does? When the Pope says jump, how high do the nations jump? When America says jump, how high do they jump? Make a comparison there. <coughs> now, behind the scenes, the Catholic Church is very, very powerful through the Jesuits and through the Masonic Temple. And they are allied behind the scenes with the bankers of the world. But on the political world scene today, it is America that makes them jump. We'll see that here in a moment. That this is not a religious organization we're talking about. Revelation 13 is. That beast is religious and does miracles. This one is different. It's financial and political. Let's see that in 18. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, is fallen. And it's become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit in a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Demons ultimately are in control behind evil men who are trying to take over the world. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her seductions, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Ah, Let's let the Bible define this great whore. There are several categories here. 
All nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornications. We are the ones going into China today and into Japan and all over the world, seducing them economically, politically. Not the Catholic Church. They only hold sway in a few countries, at least in an obvious way. The kings of the earth have done this, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Who has made the merchants of the earth rich? Who is the greatest marketplace of the world? Who is making China rich as we speak through a new world order company called Walmart and others? We are making those billions of people rich. They are beginning to drive the cars. They are building skyscrapers. They are becoming wealthy. Their standard of living is going up because we buy their things. How many nations has the Catholic Church made rich? None. What do Catholics do historically? They take the wealth away from nations. They raped South and Central America when they went in there, took the gold and the silver back to Europe. They didn't make anybody rich. They made them poverty-stricken. We, by virtue of our merchants, make the earth rich. Does Germany make the earth rich? Russia? I don't think so. Through the abundance of our delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues. Do we need to get rid of sin? We need to get rid of the sin that our culture lays upon us? Yes, we do, or we're going to partake of the plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double to her double according to her works. In the cup which she has filled, fill to her double. We have held up the wine of seduction to the world, and we've seduced the whole world with our merchantry. How much she has glorified herself. If we, as an American country and people, glorified ourselves, oh, how many songs, how many poems, how many essays, how many brags have we made to the world about how important and how great and how wonderful we are. We are America, home of the free, or home of the brave. All the things we've said. Proud. Very proud. She's glorified herself and lived deliciously. Who's the wealthiest people that the earth has ever known today? Catholic Church? It's America. She says in her heart, I sit a queen and no and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. How many times have we said it can't happen here. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death, mourning, and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the eternal God who judges her. Does he give a pretty heavy condemnation of Israel in Ezekiel 16 as the great whore? Yes, he does. The kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, 
shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is your judgment come. Now why are they going to be wailing? Why will they be weeping? Why are they upset? Because the Pope is deposed? I don't think so. He's going to be thrown in the lake of fire by Christ, probably, as the leader of the great false religion of the world that comes up. Unless it's Pat Robertson or somebody. Why do they weep? Verse 11. The merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buys their merchandise anymore. The greatest market on earth just dried up. The great financial collapse which Zephaniah 1 predicts in Israel. And it mentions all kinds of things, even slaves of men. Well, we're not slave traders. Yes, we are. There are tens of thousands of slaves being brought into America secretly every year from Russia, from Greece, from all over, made house servants and concubines to rich Americans. There are a lot of articles about that. And I mean in Newsweek and U.S. News and World Report, not just wild-eyed Internet sites. The fruits that your soul lusted after are departed from you, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from you, and you shall find them no more at all. All our great wealth, all our gadgets will be gone. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping, and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold, precious stones and pearls, for in one hour so great riches has come to nothing. Total crash. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood the far off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning. But all the ship companies around the world get all upset if the Catholic Church was destroyed. Don't trade with her. They trade with America. They cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? Cast dust on their heads. Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her uh, costliness or wealth. For in one hour is she made desolate. Rejoice over her, you heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. We'll see in Daniel that the little horn that sets up the abomination of desolation comes from here. It tries to destroy God's people. Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And he goes on to explain. He even says it more down in verse 23. Your merchants are the great men of the earth, or were. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Sorceries there is from Formicaea, where the great drug cartels, great drug companies, seducing us. But medical science is supposed to be saving us, but ultimately is making us sicker and sicker and destroying us with side effects. Right here. Greatest nation of druggies on earth is America. Not Catholic Church, America. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Now, this is end-time slave. This isn't talking about something that happened 
millenniums ago when the Catholic Church persecuted Christians. This is talking about people who are destroyed at the end time. God's true church. They're going to come after us. Well, I'm out of time, so let's stop there. But I wanted to show a little more about who this is talking about before we go further and what it says about Babylon the Great.